Hey there guys, welcome back. It's the Fully Live Athlete Pastor channel. This is Justin speaking and we are on our series called the Online Bible Reading Club, day 151 now. We're looking at 2 Chronicles 13 and 14 and we're looking at John chapter 12, 1 through 26. Uh, it's, a, it's a daily Bible reading plan and we want to give you review videos or preview videos so that you get the most out of the plan. So dive right in with us today. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament first. And we're going to be starting in 2 Chronicles 13 and 14. Now, 2 Chronicles, again, is one of the later books in the uh, canon of the Old Testament. Uh, you got the Chronicles books 1 and 2, uh, Chronicles, and you've got the Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Those are uh, speaking about history. Uh, and Well, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are later history, right? But what's confusing to you maybe is that First and Second Chronicles are written way later, but they're talking about uh, history from right now in this text we're looking at today, uh, about 900 uh, B.C., you know, in the, uh, in the reign uh, just following David and Solomon uh, of the king there uh, right after Rehoboam called Abijah and now Asa in uh, the 14th chapter. And why is this significant? Well, it's uh, about 400, 500 years prior to the, re to the uh, events that the... Um, uh, intended audience of the Chronicle or, uh, have been going through. And what he's doing is he's writing theological history. He wants them to understand something, is that they can believe in God and trust in Him for their salvation. He, they can trust in the Davidic King to come, which is going to be Jesus ultimately. Uh, but he, God had made a covenant with His people. And he had, uh, we'd, we'd seen that in Genesis 3.15 when He promises that a son of the woman is going to come uh, and, and bring about all the blessings of the covenant of grace because Adam had uh, cast all of creation into judgment and not brought them into glory by his sin. So we're going to have a second representative, Jesus, who we see uh, the revelation of who Jesus is just continues to grow throughout the Old Testament. We see that that it's very clear that he is going to be um, as uh, first or second Samuel, second Samuel seven makes clear uh, that he that this Jesus, this uh, son of the woman, will be a uh, descendant of David. That his kingdom and his throne, his dynasty, will be forevermore. Uh, and so it's going to be from David's lineage that Jesus will arise. Now. This, uh, this promise looks to be in jeopardy because David's not reigning in, in the time of the chronicler. Uh, the, the king has been uh, brought into exile, and now they're returned, but they don't have a king. They barely have a temple, uh, and they're trying to, to, to live as a uh, kind of a vassal people. They don't have independence, and they're being beat up. And, and the question is, will they trust in the Lord, or will they trust in false gods or other gods or other nations to be their savior. Well, the deal is, is they need to trust in the Lord. So that's why the chroniclers take in this history that's already been written in the Old Testament in the King's books, and he's bringing it to them and he's giving theological comments on it. He's highlighting certain angles of it. Well, you see in this, in this what's happening here is you've got now two kingdoms in Israel. You've got the descendants of uh, David living in uh, the southern part of Israel, what's called Judah, and then you have the northern tribes, which is called Israel. And I know that may be confusing. Israel is not Israel. Israel is uh, the uh, apostate nation. Israel is the rebels. 
they rebelled in the previous day, 150, which is the previous chapters in, in Chronicles, because Solomon's blockaded son, Rehoboam, uh, puts the hammer down on them and tries to oppress them. And so they rebel. And then Jeroboam uh, leads that rebellion. And Jeroboam uh, becomes the king of the northern tribes, or what's known now as Israel. So what happens is Solomon's son, Rehoboam, dies. And now Rehoboam's son, Abijah, is now reigning, as you see at the beginning of chapter 13. But what's happening now is Jeroboam sees that this is his opportunity to crush uh, the southern tribes based out of Jerusalem, uh, which is Judah and Benjamin, and to take over the whole country in what's a civil war here, obviously. And so Jeroboam comes with double the military strength. He brings his golden calves. He is not only uh, you know, rebelled from Jerusalem and the throne, the kingdom of David, uh, but he has installed his own worship too, his own priests, his own uh, worship centers in the north with golden calves. We know that's not a good idea. If you go back to Exodus 32, you can see that, and you can see in the uh, in the Ten Commandments, the Second Commandment particularly, that representing God with images and bowing to Him and worshiping Him is not allowed. It's prohibited. It's it's against the the law of God and and brings judgment. So what happens? They bring the golden calves. They bring the double military, and then. Abijah makes this great speech, which appeals to this covenant with David, which we mentioned in Second, I mean Second Samuel seven, uh, that that because God's made a promise, they can't stand against God. Uh, the northern kingdoms can't. They need to repent and come and join them again. Well, they decide to fight, and it doesn't go well for the northern kingdom and, and Jeroboam. Jeroboam is crushed by Abijah and his army, and, and the Lord fights the battle. So this is what we need to learn. We need to learn that trust the Lord, the kingdom, and the king. Of the covenant is coming Jesus is coming uh, and we see that Asa who follows Abijah continues that godly reformation uh, uh, that's going on the land because Solomon had installed all these multiplicity of gods and and, and shrines and uh, high places Asherah poles um, all this false worship because of his influence of his wives that he take they taken uh, well that thing, these, those, those idols need to be cleansed from the land. So uh, Asa begins these reforms, and we'll see more of those next time. But, but be looking, people, as he says there, the Chronicler says, for the king to come. Yahweh will fight for you. He will defend you, and you can trust in him. Now, moving over to John, moving to the New Testament now, you see that they're waiting for that king. You see this in this triumphal entry that we're going to look at, that the king has arrived. Well, before you get to that, though, you see that, uh, Lazarus, who has just been resurrected in an amazing miracle. Back, go back and listen to the last two uh, online Bible reading clubs to hear more on that and read back in John 11. But in John 12, in Bethany, which is a small, small little town, village uh, south, uh, south in, uh, of, of Jerusalem, uh, is that Jesus is about to go to the Passover and he's going to Jerusalem to die. And so there's this dispute that arises because Mary takes uh, Mary being the sister of Lazarus takes this extraordinarily expensive ointment you wouldn't believe how expensive it is and pours it on Jesus feet and and Judas Iscariot it says in chapter 5 raises his nose up to that and says hey we could have taken this and sold it and given the profits to the poor uh, and then J John writing the writing the uh, gospel who knows Judas Iscariot uh, and writing at a later date says well he was just doing that because he was stealing we found out he was stealing later on 
and he was going to take the money for himself. That's why he wanted it. But Jesus says in a very interesting comment that to take this and, and give it to the poor would be a waste because the poor you'll always have, but you won't have me. Uh, tell, tell Mary to save this for the day of my burial so that she can anoint me with it, right? Uh, so it's very interesting. To give people uh, money and handouts and, and, and relief without giving them the gospel is no gospel at all. The gospel is salvation from our sin. It's salvation from, from worshiping false saviors. It's, and and, and, and to, to serve the poor without the gospel is mere vanity. Uh, we're seeing that, that the serpent is at work here, the, the ancient serpent trying to distract from the mission, that the ultimate liberation from slavery and the ultimate riches and treasure is going to be found in the resurrected Lord Jesus, uh, not from money, not from wealth. Okay, so the mission has always been that Jesus is going to die in Jerusalem for the sake of his people. He's going to lay down his life for the, for, in love for his people to save them. He's going to, and he do so by being resurrected on the third day for their salvation. You see this ramping up. Judas is being an instrument of Satan here to distract them from the true victory that is on the way. Now, you see they're trying to kill Lazarus. Why? Because Lazarus's resurrection is drawing people to uh, to Jesus and not to the religious leaders in verses 9 through 11. And they cannot tolerate that. The world hates the Christian gospel because it eliminates all false saviors. It says salvation is found in no other name but in Jesus Christ alone. So it calls us away from ourselves and away from our worldly saviors into Christ alone. We have no king but him alone, Christ. Uh, then you see that triumphal entry that, I've been look, that we've been looking for. Uh, we've been looking for the king. That's what... That's what the chronicler was telling the people uh, to stay the course, trust and believe God's going to win in the end through the son of David. And so here you have Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem. He's going to go up, up the mountain to Bethany. He's already been there. He's gotten the cult that he's going to ride in on. And he's going to descend down this hill into Jerusalem, right? Now, what's fascinating is he didn't need the animal to get there. He walks everywhere he goes. He doesn't need an animal. Uh, he doesn't descend. He doesn't ascend on the animal, which would be the really the really the point of having an animal is to go up the hill. He goes. He gets the animal, and then he goes down the hill into Jerusalem. Why does he do that? Well, you get a hint that they recognize that the people recognize something that we might not recognize as modern readers. They see him as the king of Israel immediately, and they start shouting uh, words of Psalm 118 as they're there for the Passover. Oh, here is the king. And how do they know? Because he's riding a donkey? It makes almost no sense if you don't know the history. Well, in the very beginning of 1 Kings, you can go look at it. There's another battle for who's going to follow the king. David is on his deathbed. And then Bathsheba, the prophet, some others come in and say, your son, uh, and you might remember the story from a few, a few weeks back, your son, one of your sons, is proclaiming himself to be the king. Uh, and then what we see here is that David uh, says, look, we're not going to let that guy get away with it. I'm going to put Solomon on my, the king's colt, and he's going he's gonna to ride the king's donkey down into uh, to, uh, to, uh, what's called the Gihon Springs here. And, and he's going to be anointed right there by the prophet, and the people will see he is the true king by decree of the king. Uh, and the true descendant of David, not this other guy, not the other son, is going to be Solomon. So here you see Jesus riding in on the colt 
down the hill, down the slope to, to the Gihon Springs where Solomon was anointed, right? At the edge of Jerusalem in the southeast. The same place, riding the same kind of animal, coming down there. And that's why the people say, behold, it's the king who will set his people free. That's what they say. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Jesus is making a clear statement that the king you've been looking for is here. And, and he did it with a donkey. He did it by, by revelation. Like, this is what the Old Testament has revealed that the king will be doing. And you see it in Zechariah 9.9. In Zechariah 9.9, which is quoted in 15 uh, of, the, of this chapter, John 12.15. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your, kingdom, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. It was very important that Jesus, knowing that the people knew this, made this statement that I am the king. I'm coming on a donkey's colt. It wasn't because donkey was a majestic animal. It was because that's what David did to demonstrate that this is the true king. Jesus is saying, I'm the true king. Okay, guys, I hope that's helpful to you to sing the meaning. The king is coming. He's entering Jerusalem. And he's going to lay down his life uh, for the sake of all, all people. It says in 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, Jesus himself, he remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And it is bearing fruit, guys. I am part of the fruit. I pray that you're part of that fruit. The death and resurrection of Jesus has brought about a kingdom of peoples from Jew and Gentile. All who believe will receive salvation by this gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, I hope that's helpful. Keep listening, keep reading, and we hope to see all of us read through the Bible and get to know a lot better and know God through it. Take care. We'll see you next time.